Let's pray together. Our Father, how we thank you that you are our song. You are our salvation and our song, and we praise you for it. And we pray that as we bow our heads here today, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to believe what you have written in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. The psalm that we're looking at right now is maybe the most read portion of the Old Testament, read more often than any other passage in the Old Testament, and probably many passages in the New Testament. This is one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. It was written by the shepherd king of Israel, David. You know, as I studied this and prayed about this message this morning and read this psalm over and over and thinking about it, I couldn't help but think of another David. David who's a few miles from us, who's in a hospital bed. And as I thought about him, I, I've, been, I've been tremendously encouraged by what God has been doing in his life. I went to see him last night just before surgery, and he was more lucid than he had been. They've been backing off of this sedation that he's been under so they could perform a surgical procedure. And he, began, he talked to my wife and me. And he was a little upset with the nurse that's been waiting on him and binding him, I guess, so he won't pull cords and tubes out. And I said, son, this is your dad. I'm here. I said, everybody's praying for you. He said, dad, what's the story on this guy? (laughs) So I said, well, David's coming back. He's coming back. And then we waited while the surgery was performed and Uh, they wouldn't let us go into the intensive care unit until it was done. And then the surgeon was kind enough to come out and explain to us the procedure. Uh, I know, I hope I'm not too redundant. Bill has talked to you about some of this, but he said that your son has been very, very sick. He said uh, he's got a lot of infection in his body. His side was swollen from the infection and his diaphragm area. But he said, we cut into it, and he said, we got a good deal of the infection out. You couldn't get all of it. We got most of it, and we, were, we have tubes in his side to drain, hopefully, the rest of it. But as a result of just removing that infection and like that, his fever is down this morning. And uh, he is, uh, the surgeon said, I believe your son will recover. He said he's strong. And he's sick, but I believe he will recover. And I believe now that we have this infection out, he said, I'm optimistic that he will recover and be as strong as ever. So thank God for that. This psalm is especially encouraging if you read it out loud. So I'm going to ask you to do just that this morning. And would you please follow me? I'll read a line and then you read a line. And do this with gusto and you'll like it a lot better. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now you feel better, don't you? Let's think of the first sentence. David said, as the Holy Spirit moved on his heart, he said, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Let's think about David for a moment. David, we recognize as the shepherd king of Israel. He was a godly man. The Bible says of him, like very few others, he was a man after God's own heart. Now, he had had troubled times in his life. His father, not his father, but the king before him, Saul, had literally pursued him and tried to take his life. He had gone through all sorts of problems in the years that he lived. And he was able to say, however, after all of these problems, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, when you really study this psalm, you'll see that the Holy Spirit has given one central theme to all six verses. And that central theme is trust, trust. And the six verses develop the whole idea of trust. David said, I shall not want, Why could he say that? Because he trusted God completely. David had no fear or concern about anything because his shepherd was God himself. You know, our Heavenly Father wants all of us to be of the same mind. Our Heavenly Father loves us. He wants us to realize that he is our shepherd. There's an old hymn that many of you are old enough to remember. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. We're admonished over and over in the scriptures to trust God. This is a simple concept, but sometimes it's harder to do than to, to think about it. We're told over and over to trust God. In Proverbs 3, and you know, you can flip over to Proverbs, it's one book over from where you are right now. I'd like for you to read this along with me, not out loud, but I'll read it and you follow. Proverbs chapter 3. Many of you know this passage pretty well. Proverbs 3, look at verse 5. My first pastor said, you have to wait until you stop hearing pages. (laughs) The pastor has to wait until he stops hearing pages. Proverbs 3, verse 5. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. That means I already know the answer. Do you want to be a happy, faith-filled Christian this morning? This passage we just read says, if you acknowledge him in all of your ways, that you will be just that. I read a story of a man who lived in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He was a pastor in upstate New York. His name was Pastor Babcock. Well, Pastor Babcock loved the natural scenery of upstate New York, and he loved to go hiking. He loved one particular place where there was a high ridge, and he could see farms and orchards, and he could even see 15 miles away the very edge of Lake Ontario. When he would go out hiking, his wife or someone else would say, where are you going? And he would say, I'm going out into my father's world. And as he looked at all the wonder and the beauty of the land, the words began to come to him of an old song. Amy Grant and other people have sung this song, and maybe you've sung this song. The song is, This is My Father's World. And this is in connection of acknowledging God in all of your ways. Every place you go, everything that you do, you're walking around in God's world. He made it. He can take care of the people in it. And this pastor, these words came to him, and these are the words to that song. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in this thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget. And though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. This is our father's world. So I say to you, my brothers and sisters, whom many of you I know well, how big is your faith this morning? Are you having trouble trusting God? When trouble comes into your life, how much do you trust God? You know, it's easy to trust God when everything is great. It's a little harder to do so when it's not so great. I have to say that my trust has been tested with David's illness. But I am so encouraged today, and I'm encouraged a great deal by many of you, because you have written me, you've called me, or you've mentioned to me one-on-one how much God has reminded you to pray for David. Uh, I have uh, an email or two where the person said, I am praying for David, it seems like, every second of every day. And maybe that's true of you. Well, you realize that God is with us in our prayer life. 
He works in our hearts even to pray. And whenever you feel like your trust is weakening a little bit, learn from the Psalm 23 this morning. And I would encourage you to read the psalm when you're discouraged. Meditate on this psalm. Read it out loud, even though nobody's around, and you'll find that your trust will increase. You know, this Christian life is really all about trusting God. Trusting God is the mark of a mature Christian. If you're mature in the Lord, you trust God. Every believer should trust God and come to understand that we can trust Him implicitly. After all, isn't he the most trustworthy person in this universe where we are? Is there anybody more trustworthy than him? Now, how could David say, I shall not want? You know why? Because his shepherd was Jehovah God. That's why. And when you think about it, David was surrounded. Israel is a small country. And David was surrounded by uh, heathen nations whose gods were pagan gods. And David is saying... My God is not Dagon like the Philistines. He's not Shamash like the Moabites God. He's not Molech like the Ammonite God. He's not Baal like even some of the Israelites had come to believe. He said, my shepherd is Jehovah God. That's the reason I can say I shall not want. He knew that uh, God was superior to all these false gods. It was even almost foolish to think about it. But written in 1 Samuel chapter 5, we see how foolish it is to believe in any other God but the only God. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, I'm going to read these verses for you. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face on the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both of the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold, and Dagon's torso was left." Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. What a poor, miserable God that you have to make him to begin with with man's hands. And then when you bring in the ark of God, the true and the living God, the, the statue of this false God falls down and breaks in pieces and they still worship him. It's amazing how ignorant man can be. So in this psalm, David is saying, my shepherd is not one of the many idol gods of the Gentile nations. This is the reason I can confidently say I shall not want. My shepherd is Jehovah God. Now, when you look into the name Jehovah and look into the attributes of Jehovah, you see that the Bible teaches that he is Jehovah, the only God. There is no other God besides him. This is how Isaiah put it. In Isaiah 43, Isaiah writes down the words of the Lord speaking. He says, Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. When a certain cult says that Jesus is only a God, bring him to this verse if you would. Before me there were no gods formed, neither shall there be after me. Beside me there is no Savior. And then David is saying that my 
Shepherd is Jehovah, the eternal God. In Psalm 90, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth or the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In Deuteronomy 33, 27, it says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And then David said, My shepherd is Jehovah, the almighty God. Psalm 91 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then in Revelation 1.8, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So don't shrink back when people make light of God. Just remind them that he's the almighty God. He's the eternal God. He's the everlasting God. And there's nobody in the universe like him. Now, this is the God who was David's shepherd. And this is the God who is your shepherd. If you are a believer in Christ today, this is the God who is your shepherd. Now, why did the Holy Spirit prompt David to say to God, my shepherd? What do we know about shepherds? Well, we know that David was a shepherd. We know that shepherds take care of sheep. We know that the shepherds see that the sheep are fed. That they, when they go astray, they bring them back. They protect the sheep from their natural enemies. They watch over their flocks by night. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. The sheep follow the shepherd wherever he goes. Because Jehovah is your shepherd, like David, you can say, I shall not want. When God is your shepherd, you will not be in want. I hope you don't mind if I bring up something personal. God gave me a wonderful wife 51 years ago. And we have known lean times. We've known tough times. We've known unemployed times. But I can honestly say with all my heart, we have never been in want. There may have been not a steak on the plate, but there was something, and we have not been in want. You know, it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that famous preacher, that godly man from England, said, when God hears you scraping the bottom of the barrel, he will fill it up. Now, this is a warning to us all. If you walk away from God, get ready to be in want. But if you walk with God, you can be like David and say, I shall not want. He said in the 37th Psalm, which he also wrote, of course, with God's help, he said, I have been young and now I am old. And yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. You know, when David was young, in this psalm, he just said he was, was young, now he's old. But when he was young, when he was a young man, we know that he was a shepherd. He took care of his father's sheep. He did that for many months. We know he fed them. We know he saved them from a lion and from the bear. That's his own testimony. We know he watched over these sheep for countless nights. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but as I prayed about it, this is what came into my heart. That as the Holy Spirit moved in David's heart and gave him these words, this is what I imagine happened to David, something like this. David, you have been a faithful shepherd. You've done a good job and treated your father's sheep very well. 
What would be your words to someone who asks you how I have treated you? What would be your words? And I believe that the 23rd Psalm is David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, this is the way the Lord has treated me in the language of a shepherd. In verse 2, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Many of you know the name J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon studied this passage at length, and he said he learned in his study of the habits of sheep that sheep will not lie down until they are full. So David says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. David was full, and he said he makes me to lie down in green pastures. So he leads me beside the still waters. McGee also said in his study that sheep do not like to drink from troubled waters. They like the water to be clear. They like to be able to see if there's any animal that would threaten them before they drink from the water. So he, lies, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. In other words, God takes wonderful care of me. The pastures have been green. The waters have been still and untroubled. And I am at peace. He keeps on restoring my soul. My heart is filled with joy as I sense his daily care. How can I not be happy when I serve a giving, caring God? How can I not be happy? Have you ever thought about the many ways that the Bible says God is a giving God? That he keeps on giving? Let me just read you some of the phrases from some of the scriptures. God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Jesus said, I will give you rest. Whatever is right, I will give you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To give the knowledge of salvation, to give light to those who sit in darkness. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him will never thirst. But I give to you water that you will never thirst I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. My peace I give to you. Abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works lest any man should boast. Some of you may have heard of Annie Johnson Flint. She was a writer of poetry, particularly scriptural poetry, or script ideas she got from the scripture. When she said about, she wrote this poem, and I'm going to read a point of it, that has to do with God giving. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary, known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus... He giveth and giveth and giveth again. You know, uh, I've been through uh, a lot of things in my life. I'm 74 now. And like all people who believe in the Lord and follow the Lord, there are times when the pasture doesn't seem very green and the waters do seem troubled. David knew this for much of his life. But in the midst of his troubles, he said he led me into green pastures, even when I was in trouble. 
And brothers and sisters, he will do the same for you, and he will do the same for me. And because David's shepherd is holy, he could say, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Isaiah put it this way, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, he leads me in a path of righteousness. You know, uh, I read a passage that years ago that became one of my very favorites. When God leads us in paths of righteousness and when we are leading a righteous life, there's something else that God bestows on us, and that's a special fragrance. A special fragrance. You can't buy it at the store. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll ask you to turn there. I hope you'll mark this because it will be special to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 14 and 17 through 17. I don't hear any pages. I hope you're there. Second Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now, I said earlier that I have gotten to know many of you, and I want to encourage you with something. When I talk to many of you, particularly those that I've gotten to know, I sense the fragrance of Christ in you and on you because you have the fragrance of Christ. And you got it because the Lord gave it to you. And the more you draw close to God, the more fragrant you're going to be. And then not only did he speak of the righteousness that our shepherd gives, but there are apostles, of course, who speak of the same thing. I'm thinking of Paul. I won't ask you to turn here, but in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul talks about this righteousness. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture. This is near Paul's, the end of his life. He says in uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. So David said that the Lord leads me in paths of righteousness. And Paul is saying here that one day 
when he sees Christ, that Christ is going to give him a crown of righteousness. Now, he said that's not only for him, but that is for everybody who loves his appearing. So if you, when you think of Jesus coming back someday, or you rising to meet him, I think you will say in your heart, yes, I am a person who loves his appearing. Well, Paul says, you know, when you say a P very loud in a microphone, it just doesn't do well. I have an idea that the people I'm looking at right now, you are going to love it when Jesus Christ appears. And, Jesus, and Paul says that he is not only going to give me a crown of righteousness, but he's going to give a crown of righteousness to everybody who loves his appearing. Now, you may not, excuse me, you may not feel like you deserve a crown of righteousness. And the answer is you don't. And I don't. And nobody does. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But God is going to give it to us. You know why? Because Jesus died for us. And the Bible says he has declared us righteous before God because of the blood of Jesus. Psalm 37, another psalm that David wrote that we, we talked about a little bit ago. He says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We're still in the part of the psalm where he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Because God is a righteous God, he leads us to live a righteous life. If you are walking in sin today, you can be sure that your shepherd did not lead you there. And then in verse 4 of the psalm, David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why the rod and why the staff? Ancient shepherds used both of these instruments. They used the rod and they used the staff. They used them both to rescue the sheep, to protect the sheep, to guide the sheep. So thus, in God's language, they become the symbols of the good shepherd's loving care for his flock. The sheep are not alone. Their shepherd is standing over them, guiding them to safety, just as the Lord stands over you and me, protecting us and guiding us to safety. Because my shepherd loves me, because your shepherd loves you, he is concerned for your safety. We've lived in the same house for 30 years, my wife and I. And um, recently, there have been a number of burglaries up in that area, house break-ins. And I've been locking the front door for the first time in 30 years. And um, God recently reminded me of a verse of Scripture. I still lock it, by the way. But he reminded me of a verse. He said, except the Lord keep the house, the watchman wakes but in vain. So just remember this. That the reason that you're not piled up in a wreck somewhere, God is watching over you. The reason you're healthy and here today is God is watching over you. No matter how bad this world may get, David is saying, when I remember that you are with me, I'm not afraid of what someone may do to me. I'm not afraid of what may happen to me. I'm not even afraid when I come to die. The Lord will be there to comfort us and take away the fear of the unknown. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff that comfort me. 
A long time ago, I read in a commentary the experiences of two atheists who were on their deathbed. The, perhaps in your reading you have read about both of these men. One of them was named Voltaire. He was a famous atheist. He made light of God and God's people. When he was on his deathbed, these are some of his last words. He cried out, I am abandoned by God and man. And then he exclaimed, O oh, Jesus Christ, O oh, Jesus Christ, and he died. When Thomas Paine, the famous agnostic and infidel, died, these were his last words. He said, What a fool I have been. Oh God, help me. I cannot be bare to be left alone. Perhaps you've heard of Dwight L. Moody. God really used him in the last century as a pastor, as an evangelist. Moody Bible Institute in Chicago is named after this man. When he was on his deathbed, someone recorded his words, and this is what he said. He probably said it haltingly, but he said it. He said, Earth is receding. He said, I sense heaven descending. God is calling, and I'm going home. Is this death? This is not bad. This is glorious. I feel like this is coronation day. Only like a preacher could say it, right? <laughs> and then David said, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You know, in the 40th uh, chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah said he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. We need to remind ourselves constantly that the Lord Jesus Christ is our shepherd and that he is very committed to taking care of and feeding his sheep. You know, this is one of the reasons that I am very thankful for my son, David. He understands that he is under orders to feed God's sheep. And he does it gladly, and, he, and I know he does it with all of his might. And you know what? I can say the same thing for every pastor here at Calvary Chapel. We are all on the same page. And as a sheep of his pasture, we need to never forget the words that Jesus said. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. There is a great passage on the subject of Jesus feeding his sheep. And it's after he rose from the dead. You know, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared for about six weeks all over the land of Israel. And one of those times he said he was going to see them. He told the apostles, I'll see you up in Galilee. And so Peter said in his own way, I'm going fishing. I'm not going to wait here much longer. I'm going fishing while I wait. So he and the apostles, he went with them. I think there were seven or eight of them, got in a boat and they fished all night. And then when they, when it began to be dawn, they looked on the shore and they saw someone standing there. Um, it says in John 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which also is the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon, Simon Peter Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of 
Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet his disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits. I think that's about 100 yards. Dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they came to land, they saw fire and coals and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Now, if you have a king, the old King James, it says, come and dine. Come and dine. Well, it was just humble fish and bread. But I have an idea when Jesus serves it, it's dining. Don't you? I want to mention another old preacher to you. He's been dead since 1980. You may or may not have heard of him. His name is John R. Rice. John R. Rice was a Baptist preacher. He edited a paper that had a large circulation. The paper was Sword of the Lord. He stood up for righteousness. He rebuked his brothers when some of them began to be liberal pastors instead of believing the word of God implicitly. And I remember when I was a senior in Bible college, I was listening to a message by John R. Rice. He died 20 years later in 1980. But he would preach and occasionally he would break into this song, singing this song. And unlike me, he had a good voice. These are the words of that song, and it's about this event on the shore. The disciples came to land, thus obeying God's command. For the master called to them, come and dine. There they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire. Thus he satisfies the hungry every time. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. It says in the passage, none of his disciples dare ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they had, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now listen to our shepherd give Peter some commands. Do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Feed the little ones, the little ones who have faith in me. He said again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, 
tend my sheep or take care of my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So he said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you remember when Jesus went to the woman at the well in Samaria? And when he sent the apostles into town to buy some food? And then he spoke words of living water to that woman. And that woman evidently received Christ and ran into the town and said, Come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Well, Jesus stayed by the well as the apostles went into town. And the woman went into town to get people to come out and see Jesus. Well, there was Jesus sitting by the well. And the apostles came and they had food and they said to him, to Master, eat. And then Jesus said, I have food to eat for which you do not know. Now, as we have read the scriptures this morning, I have an idea that God has given you some food to eat that isn't bread and fish. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now, in this last verse, because the Lord is our shepherd, he cares about us today and tomorrow and our future. He says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think about this. Goodness and mercy every day in my life. Good and mercy today. Goodness and mercy when I come to die. Goodness and mercy for eternity. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These words were not for David only. How can we be sure of that? I think we're already sure, but how can we really be sure? Well, let's listen to Jesus. In John 10... Jesus said, other sheep I have, which are not of this foal. He was talking about you and me. Them also I must bring. They shall hear my voice. There shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So be a person who reads Psalm 23 often, and your trust will grow. I have a benediction for you and a prayer as we end this message. And the prayer and the benediction is from a passage of Scripture. You might want to make a note of it and read it again some other time. It's Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. And it's about our shepherd. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, 
make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That is my prayer for you. That is my wish for you and for me and for all of us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And after prayer, we will close in a worship song. And as you sing the song, can I ask you to sing it with all your heart, trusting God as you sing. Our Father, we pray that you would now teach us and help us to remember the things you want us to remember from what we talked about today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.